the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon and welcome to this Thursday, the third day of May. And today, of course, is the National Day of Prayer Day. And uh, welcome to you. Great to have you on board. We've got a good program lined up for you today, including uh, giving you a lot of good reasons to be in an attitude of prayer. A little bit later on in this hour, Greg Baylor is going to join us. He is senior counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom Organization. They have just run into a bit of an issue of uh, religious discrimination, I would say, to say the very least. Um, And the story involves being delisted from Amazon Smile program because of allegations by the Southern Poverty Law Center that the ADF is a hate group. Oh, Wait till you hear the stretches and machinations that they go through to take us from the sublime to the ridiculous. So Greg Baylor is going to join us, talk a bit about the, quite frankly, not only unjust, unfair, but unconstitutional approach, I think, at multiple levels here that has happened both at the hands of um, Amazon as well as, most certainly, the actions and the inference by Southern Poverty Law Center to somehow suggest or align the ADF with hate groups. I mean, really, you you stand up in defense of the Constitution and suddenly that marks you as a hate group. Okay, welcome to the new world. It's a world in which it's tough to be a Christian, that's to be sure, and you have to be brave to be one. There's no doubt about that. Dr. Andy McQuitty, by the way, is going to join us. He is professor of theology at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's got a new book out called The Way to Brave, Shaping a David Faith for Today's Goliath World. And the two, we're just you're going to see how hand in glove they fit. We'll get to that conversation coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. Michael Bennett hanging out in the KFAX Traffic Center. So that'll round out to two solid hours as we help you make your way wherever you might be headed on this Thursday, National Day of Prayer Day. The theme for this annual National Day of Prayer this year, taken from Ephesians 4 and 3, Quote, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And if there was ever a day and a time when we need to see that greater sense of unity and a bond of peace, particularly amongst believers in these perilous times, this is it. Joining me with some insights as to events taking place and that have occurred throughout the day today, throughout the nation, is Carrie Gordon Earl. She is the Vice President of Public Policy at Focus on the Family. And Carrie, thank you for taking time in this very busy day to join us. First, a few observations, if you will. Things, of course, uh, kicked off early with prayers and prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. many, many hours ago. Tell us what's been going on. Give us kind of a snapshot across the nation, if you would. Well, Craig, it's always good to be with you. You know, National Day of Prayer is something that I think it's easy for us to take for granted. We know if we think about it, it's the first Thursday in May. But it is an opportunity where we know Christians are praying corporately and individually all on one day. And uh, 
you know, the body of Christ prays. We are people of the book. We are people of prayer. We know God hears us. We are commanded by his word to pray, and he does hear any answers. But National Day of Prayer, I think all the activities today from uh, coast to coast have really been about setting apart that recognition in our culture, as well as a corporate voice. I know here at Focus on the Family, we started our day this morning uh, with a corporate prayer. We gathered all the employees together and we prayed. There was prayer in the Rose Garden today at the White House. There was prayer in the Capitol. All across the country, volunteers with National Day of Prayer have been putting together events uh, and have participated in those events, many proclamations from governors on calling for a day of, of prayer in their states as well. So I I think it's important for us to not kind of grow weary in doing good and to remember this type of recognition is important. And I just hope and pray, Craig, we can do this 10, 20 years from now for our children and our grandchildren to continue this tradition. And not only that, but I think to see this as an example that we could be bonded together in comrade effort, in the common cause of the Great Commission and along with that, understanding, too, the great commandment, what that means, and then using this really as a springboard. That's the way I've described the National Day of Prayer. This is not sort of culmination, and we all get together for one day, and we focus on prayer and, and um, repentance and so forth, and go back to business as usual on Friday. No, but rather that we ought to see this as an opportunity to get a corporate reset use it as a springboard. And these kinds of activities, as we've prayed for the president, prayed for the governor of our state, prayed for the mayor, prayed for school teachers, prayed for those in authority above us, as Scripture says, it's really something that ought to be an attitude that we adopt and incorporate it into our, our daily prayer life, shouldn't it be? Absolutely. And I think that's what National Day of Prayer is hoping, is that this will be a catalyst for a spiritual movement across the nation. I don't know about you, but I've learned so much from National Day of Prayer from their formats that are available on their website, nationaldayofprayer.org, so that when I think about in my own prayer time, my own personal prayer time, praying for my leaders, I kind of know the list to go through. I can kind of think of the scripture that's calling me to do it. So it really is a discipline uh, for us to be asking the Lord, how do we minister in this broken culture? How do we bring the power and love of Jesus Christ that's changed our lives? to those around us, and, and to be able to do that powerfully. And Carrie, you mentioned in your opening remarks the the emphasis on wanting to be able to do this, to move the hand of God, to see God's um, uh, preservation power present in our lives, and for believers to sort of be that salt and light that God's called us to be, so that we can pass on this heritage and this legacy to our children. And I was struck by the fact that looking at many of the prayer gatherings, events that have taken place uh, really coast to coast and border to border today, uh, the increasing number of young people that have been fired up for the Lord and have played a very vital role in this year's National Day of Prayer. I mean, talk about a sense of encouragement to see young people that that are beginning to get it and say, you know what, we need to do a better job of this, even as our parents did, in being able to be on our knees before the throne, recognizing that we need God's help, we need God's blessing, and we need God's forgiveness. That, that is our job, Craig. Our job is to pass on the gospel to the next generation. Our job is to make sure that remnant is prepared and equipped and educated and encouraged and ready to go. And we're trying to do that here at Focus on the Family. I know you're trying to do that with your program. And it is encouraging to see the young people. You know, God's Word will never return void. There will always be a remnant. But that's our job, is to equip them for the next generation. And you, you mentioned about ADF and this thing with Amazon. And 
that's the season that we're living in. When we are praying for unity, Craig, Ephesians 4.3, we're praying for unity, and yet those on the other side of the political spectrum are trying to tear us down. That is the climate we live in, whether it is our communities and the animosity. Have you ever seen divisiveness? Uh, like it is now. It's, it's really uh, accelerated. So this is all the more reason we need to pray for unity and the body of Christ to be able to communicate that to the culture and to really be uh, thick-skinned but soft-hearted. Uh, we have to be thick-skinned. We can't take things personally and be offended. Jesus was not offended, and he was the Son of God. Who are we to be offended? But we need to be tender-hearted toward the people who don't know him, because it's that witness that is going to bring people to Jesus and change the culture. And, and recognizing the source of these problems. I mean, at the end of the day, as you speak to you know issues of division and um, disunity that's uh, occurred, you know, not only amongst the rank and file, so to speak, of Americans, but uh, we've seen a lot of it certainly rear its ugly head in the political arena as well over the last few years. And yet at the end of the day, we know that the author of disunity, the one who divides and conquers, is the enemy of our soul, Satan himself. Uh, This is how he will attempt to try and drive a wedge and to tear down the influence of the church in America today. So knowing that and recognizing that, then we understand that the enemy here, the real enemy here, is not the politician, it's not uh, the school teacher, it's not the person down the street, it's, it's, it's Satan himself. And knowing that, now we can be not only appropriately equipped to, to share the good news, but also appropriately equipped to pray. And I'm struck by the notion, even as we've seen people today emphasizing praying for those in leadership at the state level, the local level, federal level, school teachers, the like, that as Paul talked about praying without ceasing, I don't know that he meant necessarily that you were just to pray nonstop, but to have that attitude of prayer and to develop the sensitivity that would say, you know, as I drive by City Hall, running errands in downtown on a Saturday, that I will be reminded to pray for my mayor, or as I drive past the school that my children attend uh, every day, uh, dropping them off and picking them up from school, to pray for the principal and the teachers. Do you think that kind of attitude of, of, of constantly being sensitive to opportunities where we can whisper a prayer and see the hand of God move is really the key that believers need to begin to really focusing upon and incorporating into our day-to-day lives? I, I do, and I think it's a fairly easy thing to do if we're cognizant of it. We are patterning our lives after Jesus, who said, I look to see what the Father's doing. What is the Father saying? That's where we want to have our eyes is on Him. And you know, one of the things I do, Craig, is I pray the headlines. I see the headlines, they pop up on my news feeds, they're all around us, it's 24-7 of talk, 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 and, and I love talk radio, uh, but pray the headlines. When you see these things happen, like with ADF and Amazon, pray about that. Don't just get mad, get in your prayer closet, get in that spirit of prayer attitude, and pray for blessings on the SPLC, on, on the groups that are coming against us. Uh, when we pray blessings... That is saying we want these people to walk in the way of God. That is what the Hebrew word of blessing means, to be able to do that. So pray the headlines, keep your attitude of prayer around you, and look for the opportunities Father would remind you of who we need to be praying for. Some sound advice on this National Day of Prayer. Again, the theme this year taken from Ephesians 4 and 3, 
making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We'd like to thank Carrie Gordon Earl for being with us today. Carrie, of course, is Vice President of Public Policy at Focus on the Family. And if you run into Jim Daly in the hallways there, Carrie, be sure to give him a shout out and send uh, send love our way, or his way rather, from all of us here in the San Francisco Bay Area. All right, there is Carrie Gordon Earl with Focus on the Family on this National Day of Prayer. 516, let's see what's going on. You might be headed off to church tonight, getting ready to go to a uh, prayer gathering somewhere. Let's see what's happening on the road ahead. We've got the latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I'm talking there a, a moment ago with Carrie Gordon Earl from Focus on the Family, and she touched on what we'll talk about a little bit later on tonight, and that is the challenges being faced by the Alliance Defense Freedom Organization with um, Amazon, and she brought up the issue of spiritual warfare. And when we think about the topic of spiritual warfare, certainly from a Christian perspective, there's a lot of us that think about this and think, well, I get what that is. This is a call, a mandate to go and hunt down and slay the enemy. Well, today in American society, who exactly is the enemy from a uniquely Christian perspective? Is it secular media, the government, uh, I don't know, corporate America, maybe the drug addict down the street or your next door neighbor? What form does the enemy take? Well, if you think about this from a biblical perspective, the Goliath that we as young Davids are challenged to slay as a modern-day David must be embraced, not attacked, healed, not hated, blessed, not condemned. We have to live out the gospel and lead the quote-unquote enemy to Christ. But if to lead, we must ourselves be true followers of him in whom we have believed. Today we look at the way to be brave, shaping a David faith for today's Goliath world. With us is its author, a graduate of both Wheaton College and Dallas Theological Seminary, where he earned his doctorate of ministry. He has served as senior pastor at Irving Bible Church since 1987. He is Dr. Andy McQuitty, author of this new book, The Way to Brave. And Dr. McQuitty, delight to have you on the program. Thank you, Craig. It's so good to be with you. Wow, today especially, National Day of Prayer, timely conversation. <laughs> yeah. A lot of us are talking about the need to go out there and slay all of those giants that we see uh, <laughs> rearing their ugly heads in so many arenas of American life and society and politics today. And yet at the end of the day, seemingly, we, we oftentimes, I think, misidentify who the real enemy is, and we also misidentify yeah. the kind of tools that we really yeah. ought to be using in order to uh, slay that so-called Goliath. I absolutely agree, Craig. In fact, that's exactly why I wrote this book. I believe that uh, we are facing in America today um, some Goliath, some spiritual uh, opposition to our faith uh, from the culture uh, from four main areas, the media, uh, the entertainment industry, the academy, and, you know, the government. As uh, we see uh, our religious rights being eroded and uh, our, our Christian values mocked, I mean, all you have to do is watch the Oscars to find out what the culture thinks about our values as Christians, right? Indeed. And as I've seen, uh, as I've seen these... Uh, these uh, opposers, these spiritual opposers to our Christian values, 
and 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 our Christian faith uh, intensifying over the last ten or fifteen years, I've been asking myself the question: What do we need as the church? What do Christians need going forward so that we can stand strong and joyful and uh, and hold forth the light of the good news of the gospel in in a in an increasingly hostile culture? And the answer that kept coming back to me is: We need courage. We need the courage of our forefathers, who for two thousand years and and more have stood uh, cheerfully and and uh, courageously um, against the spiritual opposition in their in the cultures of their day, and and what they did, we need to do. What they had, we need to have. And so I just uh, wrote this book to figure out, okay, if what we if what they had and we need is courage. And where does courage come from? How does God prepare his people to be courageous? And, you know, the irony is, as you speak, in terms of identifying uh, the whole cornucopia of where all of these uh, so-called giants or enemies or Goliaths lay. And, you know, many Christians, I think, uh, having not only identified them but become very frustrated with them, said, well, the key here is very clear. We need to slay and silence the giant. And yet, ironically, though, if we look at God's perspective on this from kind of that 30,000-foot-high viewpoint, it's not a matter of slaying and silencing. It's a matter of reaching and redeeming. We, of course, do the reaching. God does the redeeming. But oftentimes we don't get that. It's almost as if we take more pleasure out of wanting to get our slingshot and just, boom, right there in the middle of the forehead. (laughs) Watch them fall down and, and, and leave them in a big pile of dust when, in fact, the mandate here is we kind of prepare ourselves to engage in that David and Goliath battle, and you articulate this in talking about many examples, both from historical, um, biblical viewpoint, like King David or Daniel, or certainly more modern day, like a Dietrich Bonhoeffer or a Corey Tenboom, where the approach in slaying the giant is very different than what many of us would, uh, would in our flesh, think it should be. Exactly. Uh, I, I really believe it's important, the point you're making about what this giant is. We we tend to think that the, the, the Goliath giant of our day that's opposing us as Christians are people in the government, are people in the industry, are people in the media, people, people in the academy. And it's not. They are just, they're just the, the tools in the hand of the ultimate um, opposer of God's people, and that's Satan. So we, we, we don't have a new enemy, and, um, and, and, and our enemy is not people. Our, our enemy is, is the enemy, <laughs> Lucifer. And um, the, as you say, the way that we are to oppose him, the way that we're supposed to stand strong in faith and courage against him, is not by engaging in war against people, but in, in engaging in, in um, the, the quest to bring the gospel and light of Jesus to this world so that we are having been blessed by the gospel, uh, to be blessings in the world, uh, to, to plant gardens, not build walls, uh, to be the city on a hill that Jesus spoke of in his Sermon on the Mount, um, and, to, and to let our light shine. I, I was a, a part of the culture wars, Craig, for many years of my early ministry. I, I felt that that was my calling, like you just said, you know, to get out there and, and let's, let's kick up a cloud of dust and let's slay this giant. And I've come to see over the years in studying the Old and New Testaments and 
finding out that uh, God doesn't call me to war. God calls me to be a blessing. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't fight. That doesn't mean we're not in a spiritual battle, because we most certainly are. But, um, again, the, the enemy that we fight is spiritual. It's in the heavenlies. And uh, it's not people in this world. And, and so we need, to, we need to follow the example of our elder brothers and sisters in the faith as they, as they stood in courage and faith in loving people in their world. We need to hear the words of Jeremiah the prophet again that he wrote uh, to the people of Israel exiled in Babylon, one of the most evil uh, nations ever in the history of the world, when he wrote to them, and we would have expected him maybe to say, you know, you, you need to engage in guerrilla warfare, you need to sabotage these people, you need to do everything you can to bring them down. No, that's not what Jeremiah said. What Jeremiah said is pray for the peace of these people. Pray for the peace of the city where I have brought you. Plant gardens. Don't build walls. Marry your children. Do good to the. It's like it's like Jesus saying, "Do good to those who who persecute you." Um, and uh, it's like First Peter says, as, "As strangers and aliens, we we go and and we and we let our good deeds make famous the name of our Savior, as we build pockets of peace or shalom, is the Old Testament word for it. Um, everywhere we go, that's that's how." Uh, God uses us to, to uh, in, in, in a subversive way, to oppose the power of the spiritual giant uh, who has always been against God's people. I would wonder if perhaps sometimes the, the biggest battle here is not necessarily the one with the perceived enemy, but rather a battle against our own flesh. And I ask that question because um, we've got to recognize, as Scripture teaches us, that this is not physical warfare, it's spiritual warfare, and therefore our weapons in this warfare are not carnal, they must be spiritual ones, and yet it's easier sometimes to pick up a stick or use a, use a word rather than allowing ourselves to be subjected to the process that you talk about in the book of God calling, yeah. anointing, breaking, yes. testing, and training that gives us the power and the tools necessary to essentially be able to engage in not the physical warfare, but the spiritual warfare yes. that we might win our enemies for the cause of Christ. Absolutely. And you're very perceptive to pick up that line of thought from the book. I really believe that what God is calling us to as the church in the New Testament age and especially what I call post-Christendom America. Mm. I believe we are post-Christendom America, and I, I think that's scaring a lot of people, but it shouldn't. It should actually motivate us. It should actually excite us, because, uh, you know, church history teaches us that when, when the Christian church is not challenged in any culture, it becomes flabby and spiritually weak. Uh, I believe that we've had 250 years of what I call the Pax Americana in, in America <laughs> as Christians, where our faith has almost been entitled, but that started changing some years ago, and, and today I think we're all the way through the change. I, I don't think it's a, it, it's, it's a Christian blessing place anymore. Uh, but that's a good thing. I, I, as a pastor, I, I welcome this, not, not because I, I welcome you know, opposition, but because I welcome the, the spiritual strengthening that comes to God's people through opposition. Uh, you know, the Church Father Tertullian famously said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the Church. In other words, and, and that's a rather 
uh, over-the-top expression of this principle that when our faith is challenged in any culture, it doesn't destroy our faith. It actually strengthens it. And so as well I, as it ought to. I mean, if you think about it historically, it was, what, 40-something years ago that Francis Schaeffer recognized this very same trend that at that point was beginning to invade all of the continent and the church in Europe. And now here we are 40 years later. I think if uh, if Francis Schaeffer were with us, he'd say, aha, all of the signs are there now today in America. And as much as we might want to, uh, you know, uh, click our tongues and, and shake our fingers and uh, uh, be very upset by this, the good news is that means that the opportunity to be a blessing, the opportunity to share Christ's love, the opportunity to be salt in life, it's all about us. We don't have to get onto a ship or a plane and go overseas to find the mission field, we just open up our front door. Exactly right. Sit on, on your back porch. Go to a Little League game. You know, it's it, it's so um, it's so easy for us as Christians to have a knee-jerk reaction to opposition, to spiritual opposition, of, of fighting, of circling the wagons, of, uh, of kind of huddling together and, and getting kind of a warrior mentality, a cultural war mentality. But I really think that's a mistake. I think what we need is each other um, and, and, and to strengthen each other in the church and in the basic principles of Christian discipleship. And that's what this book is all about, Greg. It's, it, it's not about how to gin up some sort of adrenaline rush of courage in a moment of bravado whenever you're you're attacked or something like that is you know i'm i'm after the, the answer to the question how, how do christian how do we become intrepid how do we become brave for the long haul a quiet courage that takes us from day to day and that is developed not in moments but over the course of years well look at the attitude and the example set by the one that uh, supposedly we all follow uh, at any time he could have raised up, and whether you're talking about the abuse that he took at the hands of uh, uh, Pilate or earlier on at Herod or any of the others, he could have, you know, pounded his fist on a rock and said, don't you know who I am? And, and, you know, really stood up and made a loud noise. But instead, Christ responded to his enemies in peace and in humility and as we know, in the end, ultimately won the battle. He won the victory over death and the grave. And there's much to be said for the attitude that he models that is a lesson for all of us. We're talking today about the way to brave, shaping a David faith for today's Goliath world. And when we come back in our conversation with best-selling author Dr. Andy McQuitty, we'll also talk about the notion of God preparing us not only to slay some of these cultural giants that we've been talking about, but even the personal ones, and how in that process he equips us and prepares us to, um, to be about the master's business in a significant way. Our conversation continues right after an update on traffic. Get a look at that right now over at the KFAX Traffic Center, the latest with Michael Bennett. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back to the conversation. Dr. Andy McQuitty with us today. A look at 
The Way to Brave, Shaping a David Faith for Today's Goliath World. We've talked about much of that's necessary to kind of fight in the cultural wars, but as you point out in the book, oftentimes in preparation for the kind of attitude that we need to have, the kind of relationship with God that we need to have, God oftentimes allows circumstances in our own lives to sort of, uh, well, in that process of calling and anointing, he also breaks tests and trains, and a lot of that oftentimes Dr. McQuitty goes to personal circumstances and situations. So elaborate on that point, if you would. Yes, yes. Well, those are three of the primary ways that God prepares us to be courageous. He prepared David in those ways. He prepared the early church and the history of the church. He prepared our elder brothers and sisters in those ways, and he prepares us in those ways. Um, And the five ways, I'll just give them all at once, and then we'll, we'll come back and focus on those that you just specified. But God calls us, He anoints us, He breaks us, tests us, and trains us. Those are the five things that God did to prepare David to be brave enough to even face Goliath. I'm interested in what what prepared him when he came to the Valley of Elah that day, to step down in the valley with the giant that even Saul and his son Jonathan and the mighty men of Israel would not face. But David did, because he was prepared. God had called him. He knew what his calling was. God had anointed him. That is, filled him with the Holy Spirit. And the, the Holy Spirit of God was his strength. God had broken David. He had broken his pride, which in the New Testament we find is essential for God to use us greatly. Because it says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So wouldn't we want our pride to be broken so that God would not oppose us, but actually use us and strengthen us with his grace? And then God tests us. Uh, this is a lost principle, I think, in the New Testament, in the American church in many places today, where we've experienced tests and trials, personal and otherwise, as you, as you were mentioning, Craig, a moment ago, and we think that God has forsaken us or that he is against us, when in actuality, God's testing of us is a biblical practice of training us to be brave. Whenever David, you'll recall, went and volunteered to fight Goliath, Saul said, no, you can't. He'll kill you. And David said, no, I think I'll do all right. And the reason is because I have already fought a lion and a bear. And as I write in the book, no self-respecting shepherd would ever face a giant who had not already killed a lion and a bear. I believe that these are the tests of life that God sends us. He sent David lions and bears to fight to deepen his faith so that he could stand against the giant. And I think in our lives, personally and corporately in the church, that God sends tests not to harm us, not to hurt us, and certainly not to drive us away from him, but rather to strengthen us and to deepen our faith. And then the final thing is God trains us. David was trained in the weapon of his warfare in the Old Testament, a stone and a sling. What is the weapon of our warfare in the New Testament to the church? It's the Word of God. We need to be trained in the Word of God. I believe as these five things take place in the context of discipleship in a local church, I think all of this is done in the community of faith. I think that God makes us brave. And in that process, I want to go to the heart of an issue that you dealt with that I think Mm. 
helps people understand that, you know, oftentimes they think, well, this is preparation that's going to be things like theological training, and uh, you've won the victory over a child that maybe had a, I don't know, a drug addiction, and so he's equipped you in that fashion. But sometimes the the kind of battles that we are prepared with, the kind of early on experiences, you know, slaying the bears, as you say, uh, are oftentimes more personal than that. Yeah, yeah, they are. And I... I don't speak of these lightly, Craig. I, I've been a pastor for 30 years. I'm 62 years old, so I've been around the barn a few times, and I, I know what it's like to experience personal uh, trial and, and severe testing. I, I, I wrote a book a few years ago called uh, uh, Notes from the Valley, a Spiritual Cancer Travelogue, in which I cataloged the 10 greatest questions that came to me after I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in 2009 and given an 8% chance of survival. And as I went through two years of major surgeries and very gnarly chemotherapy and all of the unpleasantness that went along with that particular adventure in the valley, I found God so faithful to me. I, I found great beauty in that valley. And I, I recognized that Yes, this this was a test. This was a trial, but it was also a great privilege and a and a, and a uh, something that God was using to prepare me and to strengthen me for the for, for the rest of my life. So uh, those those are the trials that God sends us, and I I think that we, if we want to be brave, if we want our faith to grow, if we want to stand strong in in an increasingly hostile spiritual environment. I believe that we're going to have to take James's words, James chapter 1, I love it, in the Phillips translation. He says, my brothers, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, do not resent them as intruders. But welcome them as friends, realizing they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of true goodness. It's some great insights, and I think uh, preparation for all of us, not only in terms of sort of focusing on that big picture, the big job, but also dealing with the other little things that come along your way in life, the um, personal giants, as we say, uh, that can be learning experiences that overall add to our ability to eventually shape that kind of David faith to be able to successfully win out for the cause of Christ against today's Goliath world. And I hesitate even using the word against because in many respects, um, we, need to, uh, we need to focus really on who the, the real enemy is here. And uh, oftentimes it's not who we think it is. Dr. Andy McQuitty, we appreciate your time on this topic today and uh, sharing a bit of your story as well. It's been a pleasure, Craig. Thank you so much. You bet. Again, the book, The Way to Brave, Shaping a David Faith for Today's Goliath World, newly published by Moody. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through Amazon.com, and you can find out more about Dr. McQuitty's ministry if you simply go on to irvingbible.org. That's Irving in Irving, Texas, Irving Bible, just outside of Dallas, irvingbible.org. Get a look at traffic right now. The update, Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center here at 545. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. We talked about um, slaying some of those Goliaths out there. Here's one that needs some slaying in a nice way. Years and years ago, 
Um, we did an interview with Morris Dees, one of the founders of the Southern Poverty Law Center. And in those days, and I, I'm going back 20, 25 years ago, they were an organization that legitimately attempted to go out and recognize so-called hate groups, one that they most famously um, dealt with and dealt a blow to was the Ku Klux Klan. In fact, Morris Dees and the Southern Poverty Law Center were effective in shutting down the national organization by suing them and won the suit, forced them to sell off their properties, and uh, basically took a huge bite out of the effectiveness of that horrifically racist organization. Well, in the ensuing years, sadly, the Southern Poverty Law Center has become more and more ideological And along with it, the agenda suddenly, or I shouldn't say suddenly, has slowly become so broad that the definition that they apply to so-called hate groups would probably uh, be a shocker to you. Be a shocker in the sense that you'd find out that many legitimate, good organizations that simply wish to defend faith or stand behind the Constitution— are suddenly branded as hate groups just because they ideologically don't match the mold of the Southern Poverty Law Center. You say, well, Craig, that's no big deal. Well, yes, it is a very big deal because other organizations, unaware of the extreme left-leaning agenda that the SPLC has adopted in recent years, looks to them for advice. And there was an infamous case a number of years ago where a lawsuit had to be filed by D. James Kennedy Ministries out of Florida against the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, And it was based on defamation and religious discrimination. Amazon, uniquely, was also included in that lawsuit. That goes back over a year now. Well, it seems as if this kind of mentality has reared its ugly head yet once again, as Amazon in their SMILE program has once again kicked off a charitable organization from the campaign due to being branded as a hate group. And where do you find out who it is? Joining me now is Greg Baylor. He is senior counsel and director for the Center for Religious Schools at the Alliance Defending Freedom. And, Counselor, thank you for taking time to be with us today. I I was shocked when I saw this story. Not only, well, not necessarily shocked by the behavior by Southern Poverty Law Center, because this sort of seems to be their ever-increasingly their M.O., but the fact that Amazon hasn't learned its lesson and continues to lean on these people for advice as to who is on the good side of the chart and who's on the bad side. What's going on? Yeah, it really is amazing that Amazon, and to justify excluding Alliance Defending Freedom from its Amazon Smile program, is hiding behind the Southern Poverty Law Center, which at one time certainly did some good work, but now it's a discredited fundraising group that you know fills its coffers by attacking veterans, Catholics, Muslims who oppose terrorism, and and even nuns. The, the message here is that Amazon needs to understand the agenda of the Southern Poverty Law Center and sort of have a different basis for making judgments about who's eligible to participate in the SMILE program. You would think, too, that in terms of eligibility, that there would be a little bit more attempt at parity, given the notion that Listen, looking to any single organization for a rendering of opinion as to yay or nay is, of course, going to be colorized by 
their viewpoint, their agenda, their leadership, their goals, their mission statement, et cetera, et cetera. That would seem to be a, a clear point to me that maybe you have a clearinghouse that has, a, um, you know, some viewpoints from uh, or input rather from the evangelical side of things and the Roman Catholic side of things and from secular charities, et cetera, et cetera. But sadly, Amazon just seems to be involved in this one trick pony in dealing with SPLC. I almost have to wonder if there's not some back scratching going on there. Well, you certainly have to wonder because, you know, the evidence that SPLC is not a neutral watchdog organization is very clear. It's been discredited for decades by investigative journalists and charity watchdogs as a, quote, direct mail scam um, and seen its leaders amass enormous fortunes. With, instead of relying on the discredited SPLC, what Amazon should have done is just to look at the facts. And it is a fact that ADF is one of the nation's most respected and successful Supreme Court advocates were working to preserve fundamental freedoms of speech, religion, and conscience for all people from all walks of life. So people should tell Amazon, just don't rely on a discredited group like the SPLC. They have been characterized by other organizations that have found themselves, for whatever reason, in the SPLC crosshairs um, as an organization that engages in a smear campaign that uh, will essentially smear with hate any organization that doesn't seem to blindly follow their lead or uh, walk toe-and-toe with their left-leaning agenda. And again, as I suggested in my opening comments, Counselor, it isn't to say that the SPLC hasn't done good work in the past, but we're not talking about 30 years ago. We're talking about what's going on today. And what, what I think is very disheartening here is the the attack and the assault on the integrity of the Alliance Defending Freedom is not the first such organization that has come under the, the crosshairs, as I say, of the SPLC, that ultimately ended up being, you know, ipso facto punished by, by Amazon. Yeah, you know, the SPLC, again, they've just lost their way. And one of the games that they're playing now is they're, they're lumping in legitimate organizations, some of the ones that you've mentioned, and ADF, who, who do credible, respected, good work with, you know, some of the most appalling groups you can imagine. And frankly, it's, it's appalling and offensive for the SPLC to compare, you know, peaceful Christian organizations, ones that condemn violence and racism, to compare them with these violent and racist groups. The SPLC has said, it, is, it has admitted that it will only go after organizations sort of on the right side of the spectrum. Mm. So their agenda is clear, and it is, again, very disappointing that Amazon's relying on this discredited SPLC. So they find a hate group that happens to conveniently be on the left, and that sort of gets a, a passing grade. But if you dare seem to suggest that it might be more toward the right or conservative side of the continuum, all of a sudden the branding as a hate group um, is apparently applied quite liberally. I understand that there is an initial attempt here to try and engage um, first Amazon um, with some dialogue between your organization's leadership and the leadership of Amazon. And I, I don't want to put my nose into um, legal matters here, but 
what, what can you what can you publicly disclose about that? And secondarily, for people that are listening, that probably have, I'm going to guess, a good percentage of my listeners that shop Amazon with some frequency. Is there anything we should be doing right now to help lend a voice to the cause and case of the ADLF being delisted or blacklisted, I should say, by Amazon? Yeah, uh, well, our, our leader, ADF's leader, Mike Ferris, sent a letter today to Amazon uh, expressing surprise and disappointment. Uh, that they had terminated ADF's participation in the Amazon Smile program. Uh, we explained to them who we are, that we're a credible organization that's been in the Supreme Court winning seven times over the last seven years, and that we work to protect free speech all around the country for, for people from all walks of life. And we've uh, suggested that they, number one, uh, not continue to rely on the discredited SPLC, but also we're happy to work with them to come up with some real standards, some credible standards, some standards that make sense for them determining who should be eligible for the Amazon Smile program. And, you know, we're hopeful that they will respond to that in the, in the same spirit with which that was extended. The, but the other thing, the other question was about, well, you know, what can people do? And I think the answer is to communicate with Amazon, to communicate with Amazon and tell them they shouldn't sort of outsource this eligibility determination to a discredited fundraising organization that's hyper-partisan like the SBLC. If people want to support ADF along the way, they certainly can do that and visit our website at adflegal.org. We'll certainly be um, hoping for a positive and um, good resolution to this situation. Again, as I articulated in my opening remarks, this is not the first time that an organization has sadly um, befallen the agenda um, of the Southern Poverty Law Center through the extension of the arm of um, Amazon. And hopefully there can be a meeting of the minds and that this will be the last time this happens. More information available as you want to follow the story at adflegal.org. That's adflegal.org. Let me also echo what Senior Counsel uh, Greg Baylor mentioned, and that is that if you're an Amazon customer, and these days there are a lot of you out there, why not communicate with them and say, you know, uh, can you please give this organization a second look, and can you please reconsider your engagement in taking the word of the Southern Poverty Law Center as gospel all the time, because in many cases, it simply isn't. Our thanks to Greg Baylor, Senior Counsel and Director for the Center of Religious Schools at the Alliance Defending Freedom. Information on the web at adflegal.org. All right. Mother's Day. Three weekends from now. Does that sound right? No. Clock is moving faster than that. It's two weekends from now. And if you're thinking what to do with mom... Maybe do something unique, something special. How about this? Why don't you take her to enjoy Stars on Ice? They will be appearing at the SAP Center in San Jose, Sunday, May the 13th at 4 o'clock. And uh, this tour this year, by the way, includes a number of Olympic gold medalists. We've got, uh, let's see here, two-time and reigning national champion uh, Nathan Chen, who... um, I'm just going through the list here. Other uh, names that I know. Oh, yes. Uh, Maya and Alex uh, Shubatini, um, that were also 2018 Olympic medalists 
and uh, they are going to be performing too. Again, the date will be Sunday, May the 13th, 4 o'clock at the SAP Center in San Jose. For tickets, you can certainly go online, get them through Ticketmaster, or why not just hop on to kfax.com. Stars on Ice, the SAP Center in San Jose, Sunday, May the 13th, Mother's Day, and uh, help you out. We're going to give away uh, two pair right now. Callers number 40 and 50. Oh, four and five. I, uh, all right, just a typo there. Callers four and five, much to Jarrell's relief. 888 F-O-R-K-F-A-X. You probably have that number tattooed somewhere, so just dial it. And uh, callers number four and five, we're going to give you a pair of tickets to go take mom to Stars on Ice, the SAP Center, Sunday, May the 13th, 4 p.m. Your tickets are free by calling 888-367-5329, 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X, callers number four and five, call right now. And while you call, 6 o'clock, let's call on Michael Bennett first in the KFAX Traffic Center. Tell us what's going on with your Thursday ride home, Michael. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.